1: That's BlueNile.com.
2: From Postcard from the Past and Wardour Studios, this is Podcast from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. This is the programme where we measure out our lives in picture postcards and try to draw meaning from tiny cardboard fragments we've shored against our ruin. Each time, I'm delighted to welcome to the studio a pair of guests, and it's their postcards that act as an uncertain path between our everyday lives and a pattern of memories, mysteries, and stories. I'm Tom Jackson, and today my guests are both writers, although working in different areas. They are Sunday Express Arts and Entertainment editor Claire Woodward and historian Diane Atkinson. Claire and Diane, I'm thrilled that you're here.
3: We're thrilled to be here too. We're delighted. Daughters
2: is delighted. (laughs) Claire Woodward has spent her career documenting the world of entertainment, writing for such titles as The Guardian, The Daily Express, TV Quick, TV Choice, Radio Times and The Scotsman. As well as toiling at the celebrity coalface, this means writing and coordinating reviews across all the arts. And when she's not close to a red carpet... A glamorous launch or a deadline? Claire is, importantly, Programme Director of the Croydon Literary Festival. And Claire arrives today bearing a Crystal Palace postmark. Claire, do you still send postcards?
3: I haven't sent a postcard for ages. I think when my parents died, it was the kind of the end of, of, of sending that. People expected something like that. And I think it's very sad because a text saying, you know, weather lovely just doesn't cut it anymore but i wish i could i always look at them on those little roundels certainly at english seaside resorts because they never change you know those uh, those john hind cards which were probably hand colored 50 60 years ago still hold an incredible appeal but you know when you're on instagram why bother but it's a very sad decline
2: Oh, well, we hope to kind of hold that in some ways <laughs> in, 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 in this pro- campaigning programme. Yes. Um, Diane Atkinson is a prolific author. Uh, she's written three biographies and Funny Girls, a history of women's cartooning. But most recently, and just in time for the centenary of the Representation of the People Act 1918, Diane has written an enormous book, uh, Rise Up Women, a history of the suffragette movement. And in particular, the cast of characters, the women who imagined, acted, organised, protested, sang, yelled, marched, wrote, sewed, died for this cause. It's an amazing book, actually, uh, particularly the way it manages to introduce the sheer range of women involved in the movement uh, from different parts of the country and from different social backgrounds. Uh, it's fascinating and feels totally modern, like a movement put together on social media more than 100 years ago. And Di comes to us today with a Shoreditch postmark. Oh, yes. Yes. Di, when did you last send a postcard?
1: Well, I'm trying to keep this um, this industry going actually, because I often buy postcards and I often send them, but I usually put them inside an envelope, and I don't know if that counts. Sure. But yes, I do love I I do love to buy postcards in great quantities, and I do love to send them. Although the cost of postage now is a bit prohibitive, so I'm not as prolific, I'm not as promiscuous about that as I used to be.
2: Well, I'm delighted to hear you're still sending them. Uh, Listeners to this podcast will be aware that I believe that for many of us, uh, postcards flow and have flowed through our lives in strange, sometimes unremembered ways. Uh, Consequently, I always like to ask my guests if they agree with this. Uh, Claire, you work in entertainment. Uh, Celebrities used to feature on postcards a lot. Uh, Events are sometimes promoted via postcard. How have postcards been part of your life?
3: (laughs) Well, the first postcard I got was when I was four and it was a decaledged postcard of the classic Mundersley donkey from my grandma. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just, dear Claire, you know, Grandma's having a lovely time, wish you were here. So that was the first one, and it was always postcards at home from aunties and everything on holiday, and some of them would even go abroad. I mean, as a child, I never really went any further than Bridlington for my holidays. So when you got something from the Bernese Oberland, it was all terribly exciting, and it just screamed exoticism to me (laughs) when, when Auntie Ruth and Uncle Brian had been on a posh holiday. And, of course, you know, they were... You know, they were rather well, better off than us. And then as a student, I, it was all about meeting friends and, and sending each other postcards and who could be the cleverest and the funniest and, you know, with, with the most surrealist references <laughs> on. And that was the height of my postcard mania. You know, I lived in this house in Birmingham. And I had a wall full of postcards from all my friends and the ones I'd collected. And looking back to be on this podcast, it's brought back an immense pleasurable nostalgia looking at those postcards when I was in my late teens, early 20s. So, Yes, they they really meant something to me and continue to do so.
2: And I suppose the delight is, because they're made of this stubborn substance cardboard, they're still there?
3: They're still there, you know, unlike, you know, you put a picture on Facebook and three weeks later you've forgotten about it. And as I say, I can still see that wall of postcards with some pigs up there and a picture of a tiger (laughs) with an arrow I'd written saying, is this tiger an existentialist? What a pretentious (laughs) child I was. But... As I say, it was, uh, it was just very good times, mm-hmm. and, and we can continue to relive them. It's wonderful.
2: Very good. Uh, Diane, you're a postcard collector. We're going to be looking at some of your collection in a minute, or a specific part of it, I suppose. But when did your relationship with postcards start?
1: I think as a young child, uh, like Claire, um, we used to receive postcards from family who were going on holidays around Britain and not very often abroad. And I used to keep them. I used to use them as bookmarks and it's really nice to go through some of those old books and now, and I've been doing that for years using postcards as bookmarks, to just go back and dip into an old book, pull it off the shelf, and you think, God, that was then, and this is now, and what's happened to and now? So I think postcards are really love reminder. They kind of benchmark different parts of your life and different friendships, some which survive, some which went by the wayside, but uh, no, early, early days. Because, like Clout used to love pouring over those roundels with those cards, sometimes they are a bit, they're a bit bent, a bit battered, but I've been a big fan of the postcard forever, really.
2: I was in Brighton last week, and they, had, they still have these sort of carousels of cards, mm. and you can just see where they've they've been they've, they've been out in the rain, and, <laughs> and very occasionally the bright sunshine, and they've been taken indoors <laughs> when it started raining, and the, gradually the corners are fraying, and because I, think, I don't think they restock as often as they used to, I think, I think they're just sort of selling off the old stock. But uh, anyway, before we get to see and hear about the cards that Claire and I have brought along, I'll just give you a quick card of mine. This is, um, of course, a postcard from the past card um, in, in the style that I do on Twitter, an old card from which I've selected just a small part of the message. Okay. So this is a card of... Gothland, is it pronounced Gothland?
1: <laughs> Goatland,
3: yes.
2: Gofland, which mm. is in Yorkshire. Yeah,
3: yep. home of Heartbeat on ITV. Yes, yes. yes. Now, I
2: don't know what the connection, you know, is it named after a goat or is that, is that a sheep? I'm I think sure. it's
3: a sheep. I think it's full of sheep. Oh, it should so, be Sheepland. Yeah.
2: But so it's a very nice card, anyway, a, a multi-view with various rural scenes. Uh, and it comes from well, 1982, I think, so it's not that old. But the message appealed to me. Um, let see what you think. My handwriting seems to have gone off, probably too much food has made my arms heavy <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that writer went on to become a a doctor <laughs> <I hope> not <laughs> and um i just do i'll do another quick one before we get on to the good stuff, so this is um Cockington Forge in Torquay. Something like half the cards made in Britain seem to be of Cockington Forge in Torquay. Often the exterior view of the um, thatched cottages.
3: And that is the brownest postcard I've ever seen. (laughs) It's It's like it's shot through gravy, isn't it?
2: Some little people just peeking through there.
3: Oh, yes. Oh, has he got shorts on? Yes,
2: and and inevitably some red clothing, which um, photographers (laughs) of postcards are always very fond of. And this is from 1975. And it's sent, uh, I don't want to give the game away, but it's sent by a girl called Sandra. And this is one of those cards that makes you wonder about the story. The picture you sent me was of my ex-fiancée of about two and a half years ago. (laughs) I don't know how pleased Sandra was. Thanks for that. (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You thought I'd be pleased. (laughs) Um, So there we go. I should remind you, listening at home to the podcast, that images of all the cards we discussed today, um, including my guest cards, are on the website, so you can see that we're not making this up. Now, Claire and I, you have been kind enough to come along to the studio today bearing cards of your own. Claire, would you like to tell me about the first card you've brought for us?
3: Well, this first card... Dates from, she said, straining to look at the postmark, (laughs) nineteen eighty-five, and bears a black and white image of a young Smiths Johnny Marr wearing big mirrored sunglasses and an earring. My God, he looks young. And um, apparently it's Johnny Marv, the Smiths, she said, looking at the back, brackets photo by Angie Brown. And, of course, I was a massive Smiths fan, like everybody. I thought they were just the bee's knees and I was at Birmingham Poly. And I went to see them at Birmingham Odeon with my friends and it was a big night. And um, they didn't play for very long. And being born old and a born complainer... I thought it right to write to the management. <laughs> so this was a bit short. I expected more for my H- mother. How, how long did they play? Right? It was very, it was probably under an hour. I right. really did expect a bit more. And because I was just so disappointed because this was a big moment in my life. Seeing the Smiths, music mm-hmm. has always been everything to me. And of course, when you're young, these experiences are so intense and you want to enjoy it. And of course, this being 1985, there were no mobile phones or anything to, with which to annoy your fellow gig-goers with uh, and, and prolong the enjoyment. So, so you, you, you complained? I Who compl- did you complain to? I complained to the Smiths' management. God knows how I found out how they were. Um, and it was very nice of them to reply and not say, just sod off. Just they could have ignored off. you. They could have ignored me. But, you know, these are the days... And it just... When you were a fan and you wrote to people and you got something back... Wow, how amazing. And I mean, I think this got Pride of place on my college wall. uh, So what did they say? Uh, Well, it's, it's very nice handwriting in blue ink. Dear Claire, thanks for your letter. There were a few problems at Birmingham, hence the short set. Sorry if you were disappointed. The set does tend to change from date to date. Bit of variety and all that. Hope you enjoyed the gig anyway. If you are interested, we are setting up a fan club soon. If you would like the details, send us an SAE. Thanks. Doesn't say who it's from, but I mean the words "fan club" somewhat date this, don't they? Because joining a fan club was an amazing thing as well. I mean, but would
2: you have felt a little bit too old to be in a fan club by that stage anyway? You well, were a serious Smiths fan.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it would have been a bit uncool. I mean, having said that, you are speaking to a card-carrying member of the Osmonds fan club <laughs> um, to this you, day. Yeah, in my heart, <laughs> I am, uh, from which I bought a Marie Osmond toothbrush, and the great thing about it was. It had a special thing for toothpaste in the bottom, and if you pressed it, the toothpaste came out of the
2: brush. I what mean, made it Marie Osmond?
3: It had a picture of Marie Osmond, wow. which I peeled off because I really only like Donny, you know, yes. but I wanted teeth like theirs, But To, to like...
2: go back to Johnny Marr, so how did you feel when this card arrived? You must have been quite a surprise.
3: It was a surprise and I did feel quite thrilled actually and quite special because, you know, again, sounding 498, back in the day, we couldn't have instant contact. You know, if it wasn't for Twitter, the three of us wouldn't be sitting in this vast studio here. We didn't have contact with the stars then. So to get something like this and to be able to show your friends and show the people that that were at the gig and go, yeah, you know, I complained about this. Well, this is what I got back. Uh, It just felt really special. And um, the fact that I've still got it after all these years is, uh, I think, shows how, how much I thought it was wonderful, really. It was treasured. It was treasured, yes. All for a
2: little black and white postcard. Yeah, but I think it captures a moment in your life and a little moment in, 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 in popular culture as well.
3: Yes, as well. And I've always liked Johnny Marr since then. So there you go. I've got I've, got, I've <laughs> rather gone off Morrissey, but I still like Johnny Marr a lot. So Amazing. even if it's not from you, Johnny, love you. Yes.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know how you draw a connection between these cards. They're all cards, that's all I know, because Dai has got some quite different cards. What What is the first card you'd like to share with us, Di?
1: Well, it's a postcard by um, a very famous um, postcard artist called Donald McGill who was very famous for his saucy seaside postcards Of course, and they were so saucy I think in 1954 he was prosecuted for obscenity and uh, his career collapsed after that a lot of his postcards were destroyed rather stupidly um, and that was really the end of his career which was a great shame.
2: That was the end of Donald McGill's mm. career but the cards you've got here are from much earlier on.
1: Yes, my postcards are from the first part of his career. He starts to really become quite uh, successful in 1904. And luckily for him, the suffragettes appear on the scene. The militant campaign is for the vote, and that provides him with loads of material, lots of subjects, lots of outrageous things they're doing for him to comment on and draw them and and present them in a particular way. So lucky for him, the suffragettes came along and gave a great boost to his career. But, of course, he was anti-suffragettes. He was speaking to an audience which couldn't stand these women. And so he did really very
2: well out of it financially, I'm sure. And what's the first card you've got there? The
1: first card I've chosen is of a a rather large and ungainly woman who is pouring some kerosene into a pillar box. Um, And this must be about 1912. And it refers to the fact the suffragettes have got a new campaign, new strategy, which is to blow up the mail, to destroy the mail. And it was very effective, it was very unpopular... And on this occasion, this large lady is actually pouring kerosene in, but often they would throw phosphorus bombs in and the whole thing would explode. So that was rather marvellous. But um, yes, he's got a typical suffragette, is a large ungainly woman, badly dressed, looks a bit bonkers and just pouring in as much kerosene as she can. So she, he's not giving an accurate representation of suffragettes because they were much better dressed than that and uh, much, more, um, much more stylish. But
2: the large woman mm. became something of his, uh, something of a signature for him. Yes, he did. Loved... That start at this time?
1: I think so, because they all seem to have very large bottoms. All the suffragettes in these postcards have got large bottoms, and I think he kept with that theme, and they got even bigger right. as the years rolled by. So it's always a, a, a large lady with a small husband.
2: And is that a way of somehow? Belittling—belittling Belittling isn't what you're doing. You I mean you're making them bigger, but a way of representing in an unattractive way the the, the, the women involved in this in this movement.
1: He was trying to create um, a, a bad impression about the suffragettes to frighten people from taking interest in them, especially young girls. He often um, he and other artists would represent them as cats and as geese and as teddy bears, and whenever there were drawn... For, Apparently, from life, that was large, badly dressed, look a bit deranged, and just generally sort of oozing sexual frustration. They've only got this political campaign because they haven't been kissed, they haven't got a man, and they're taking it out on society. And boy, are we suffering!
2: So it was unwomanly in every sense what they were doing. It was
1: very unwomanly. Couldn't be more unwomanly.
2: But it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously, you, you, this is a, a subject which you've written about extensively. But it absolutely coincides with the height of the postcard boom. Mm. So it makes total sense that postcards would become, in a way, part of the battleground because there are pro, these are very anti-images, but there were also pro-Suffragette postcards, I believe.
1: There were, they sort of in the minority, really, but the market was saturated with this kind of anti-sentiment. But Suffragettes would produce their own postcards, often picture portraits, studio shots, mass-produced, sold all around the country. And sometimes they would have photographs taken to their big set-piece events, and they were hugely successful. So there's different kinds of postcards. There's a photographic postcard, which they worked on a lot and made a lot of money from. for their political campaigning. But the market is saturated with people like Donald McGill and others really cutting their teeth on this particular subject.
2: It's amazing, really, that it captured the imagination in the way that it did. I mean, obviously, we know it captured the imagination as a popular movement, but also on the negative side, that it was an image that people were sufficiently intrigued or scared of that they wanted to see mocking images
1: Yes, it made them feel better about their conservative opinions, because if you were disinclined to support women having the vote, and that was most of the population, then to see your fears and anxieties and neuroses expressed in these postcards, um, typifying the typical suffragette you could send to your friends, it made everybody feel more comfortable about the subject and made them feel vindicated to be in opposition to something which... Really was really quite a reasonable request for women to have the vote, but this this collection of hideous images just made everybody feel good about themselves mm. and their backward views.
2: It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you think about the way things are portrayed nowadays, and uh, it kind of gives you gives you pause to think. The way um, the, the phrase people use nowadays, being on the wrong side of history, it's very hard to see those cards as being anything other than the wrong side of mm. history. Mm. And of course it's intriguing it's a it's a pillar box that is taking the brunt. Yeah. Doubtless full of marvellous postcards that are being ruined.
1: <laughs> actually, there were a lot of postcards. A lot of other artists drew this kind of protest. I've probably got about a dozen images of the postcard being attacked by a large woman or a, a thin, sort of sullen harpy kind of character who's being uh, who's attacking the postbox. But interesting, this, this kind of protest was invented by Emily Wilding Davison, who was the lady who walked in front of the king's horse, or dashed in front of the king's horse, should I say, and actually died four days later. That was her particular. Unique contribution to the campaign, and it was much copied.
2: Really? Mm. Oh, so, she really did have the eye for what would yeah. make the most impact.
1: Yeah, I mean, she you name it, and she did it basically.
2: And of course, you know, a pillar box to us feels like a slightly old fashioned thing in the high street. For them, this is like knocking out the internet.
1: Mm. Uh, it's a great attack on the establishment, too.
2: Yes, with the, with the royal initials on every pillar box. Mm-hmm. That's, well, there are so many resonances uh, flying down through the, through the years to us from those cards. That's wonderful. That, that's very, very good. Thank you very much for that, Di. Before we get on to the second card from Claire, I'm going to just do another one of my light hearted little cards. Um, I should remind you at home, you're listening to Podcast from the Past, the postcard podcast. My guests today are Claire Woodward and Di Atkinson. This is a card. It's a picture of some flowers um, and People who are familiar with these will know it's a J. Arthur Dixon photograph. J. Arthur Dixon did a lot of these <laughs> uh, flowers. If I knew more about photography, I could explain what it is about the colourway that, 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 that is so distinctive. It's
3: very saturated, shall it, we it's say. It's saturated yes. and,
2: and then kind of washed out. Mm. Uh, it, it's strange. It has a very um, unnatural feel, actually. <laughs> it's a rhododendron for those interested in such things.
1: Thanks for that.
2: This, <laughs> this is from 1967 which is relevant, because uh, 1967, Summer of Love, social change again, actually. That's what Barbara is talking about. And Barbara's writing back to her family in Lancashire, but Barbara's been staying in London. It's the rage here to wear bells round your necks. So when you walk down King's Road, it sounds like a lot of Swiss cows. (laughs) (laughs) So Barbara That's wasn't in, a super remark. She wasn't there? impressed with the hippies on, on King's Road.
3: <laughs> Can't imagine Barbara with the love beads on somehow, yeah, no, no, burning her bra quietly. I, and... I think
2: Barbara's eyes were out on stores. <laughs> you know, she she'd come from Barrow in Furness, and she wasn't impressed.
0: Yeah. Burroughs furniture is built for the way you live.
2: Right, let's get on to Claire's second card. Now, I think you've got, a, you've got an artwork here.
3: I do have a, a lovely artwork. It's handmade, especially for me, and it's a postcard written on, I suspect, it looks like maybe the back of a
2: cornflakes packet, with yeah. nice Brilliant. grey cardboard.
3: But on the front, it bears... This uh, takes some
2: description. What, what are we looking at? It
3: does take some description. It's got the words, what you see is what you get. It's a collage, and there's a couple sort of embracing uh, he's holding her from the back but she's got like another face stuck on her face she's holding a bouquet of white flowers and there is some amazing 80s rock star who I should know who it is in black and white can anyone um f- Arman, furnish me with the
2: details yeah. oh, he looks a little bit like um Gary Newman but I don't think he is
3: it's it's a Gary Newman lookalike we, we can't place him I'm sure at one time Newman-esque, isn't it? We, we yes. would know who he was. He's got a faraway look as well. Yeah, I, I suspect that was cut from the face because it looks suitably... Arty, but he has quite big hair and a big forehead.
2: His, his forehead um, is somewhat expanded. Now and his as forehead well. is somewhat <laughs> expanded
3: by being cut off at an angle of 45 degrees with um, sort of four blue bars coming out of his head. So, anyway, this could be a Neville Brodie, really, isn't yes, it? Yes. But, but, uh, but it's an Andrew Rana, my friend Andrew, um, who lived in Leicester, who was a regular correspondent to our little house at Queenshead Road in Handsworth. We used to send me quite long letters and postcards, but this is a very short one, uh, and it just says, "Here comes the rain again," in inverted commas.
2: Like the Eurythmics. Song? Like
3: the Eurythmics song, yes. Uh, Andrew, nineteen eighty-five exclamation mark, brackets based on the sleeve by the Eurythmics, and oh. I suppose it's based. Oh, it is based on the sleeve by the Eurythmics. so oh, here comes so the it's... rain again, <laughs> because the Eurythmics are on a grey background like this postcard is, but they don't have a man with an exploding head on it. And what I really like about this is it's always great when people make things for you. Mm, because Because um, I was very uncool and remain so, but to have this really rather cool thing made for you is rather wonderful and, you know... Andrew wasn't an artist, I think at the time he was working his dad's knitwear factory in in Leicester, but he was super creative and, um, you know, it was a really special time for me, you know, meeting people who are new and exciting and... Nobody had ever made me a postcard before. That was really nice. Well I think
2: sending a postcard it's the thought that counts, but if you make it as well, and then you know that really shows that you care.
3: Yes. I mean um I've got another couple that he made for me. And to say the letters are really fantastic. I've got a one of the letters on a pink envelope that I had made into a T-shirt and it just says The Girlies Punk Rock Fan Club, Queen's Head Road, Handsworth. And I just think it's Perfect. so fabulous. You know, the fact that people had time to make these things. And I think, you know, probably we all did when we were young. You know, we, we, we it wouldn't just be a letter. You'd have a little diagram or some funny lines coming out from things. And again, it's a thing of the past. I can't think the last time I sat down and wrote a letter. The only time I think I do that now is when... People's relatives die, and I always send a nice handwritten letter or a card. But or you, I, or you haven't
2: paid your council tax.
3: Or I haven't paid your council tax, and it's please, please, and it's all covered in tears. <laughs> and, you didn't um, mean
2: to send me a summons. That's a mistake. <laughs>
3: exactly. <laughs> yes, I bust. Yes, yours, Colonel Clare Woodward. Um, so, but to have something made for you is always really special. And uh, yeah, as, as I say, I, I hadn't seen that for quite a few years, and just uh, digging it out of a of an IKEA box today was uh, was really delightful.
2: I think I think it's kind of amazing in that sense that the aesthetic of it is is a kind of pure 1980s collage style that I imagine your friend wasn't even aware that he was within but these you can't escape the time you're in aesthetically it's very
3: Absolutely. I mean, you know, Andrew was, you know, really a uh, super cool guy and he was into art and music and stuff like that. You know, but I really like these sort of Salvador Dali-esque references, this mask and stuff like that it reminds me of... Um... And Shan Andalou, you know, this woman could <laughs> eat, sort of, you know, have her eyeballs sliced out and there'd be a bit of blood coming out as opposed to the blue things coming out of this guy's head. Incidentally, if anyone can tell us who he is,
2: I'd love to know. It will be on the website and I'm sure one of our uh, eagle-eyed podcast listeners will, will, will come back to you <laughs> and we'll return when we have identified who it is. Hooray! That's terrific. So, Di, I, I, sh- I should let people know, actually, that the end papers of your new book have a kind of extra treat. So um, while, you're, while you're kind of warming yourself up to read the history and, and to find out about the, the personnel behind the suffragette movement, you get to see a great range of these sometimes quite vicious uh, anti-suffragette cards uh, beautifully put together inside the book. But you, we have some actually with us today. What's the second card you have? I think it's quite a... It's one that I, when I saw it before, I found it quite... Emotionally complicated.
1: It is. It's um, a greetings card. It's a Christmas card, sort of postcard, and it looks quite benign. It's a lady sitting at a, a Christmas lunch, um, but it isn't really because it's trivialising something that's going on in prison that's truly awful. It's a reference to the hunger strikes that lots of suffragettes were enduring to get political status in prison. And uh, many hundreds of them were force-fed throughout the suffragette campaign. And the little verse on this Donald McGill postcard reads, Christmas comes but once a year. Don't hunger strike while it's here. Remember tis the season when there's peace on earth, goodwill to men. And that's goodwill to men is in capitals. So it's a sort of very silly, trivial image, which is saying to women who support women's suffrage, oh, don't go on hunger strike at Christmas. And it, sort of ignoring the fact about the context of the hunger strike and the context of the demand for the vote and actually the suffering and the torture that's going on in prison. So it's not my favourite Donald Wiggle Card, but I think it speaks to a lot of people's impatience with the suffragettes and thinking, well, so what? You know, if, if you want to strike and starve, that's fine. But of course, the government didn't want anybody to die of starvation, so that's why force-feeding, which is really brutal, was introduced. So I'm not happy about this, but it's it's of
2: its time. Do you think that he and and the people he was talking to were simply ignorant of the seriousness of, of a hunger strike and all the things that went around it? Or, or, was, or, or was it as callous as it sounds to us now?
1: Well, I think he was, I think a lot of people were kind of indifferent because alongside hunger striking and force feeding is the suffragettes' very violent campaign to get the vote. So there's a lot of violence on the streets around police manhandling of women protesters. There's a lot of violence in prison when suffragettes are being force fed. I think most people were just impatient and sick of what was going on. They just didn't want to engage with what the demands were, which is that women could vote. So, in a way, it's a very disappointing reaction because they weren't really listening to the many accounts that were out there and available to understand about what it actually meant when a woman was force-fed. And it was really brutal. It was vile. Food was poured down a funnel into a rubber tube. It was rammed up your nose or pushed down your throat to the top of your stomach. Food was just poured in. You vomited it back up again. It's absolutely disgusting. And, of course, when the force-feeding episode was over... They just ripped the tubes out, and suffragettes write about saying they felt that their insides were being pulled out when this happened, so there's this is awful brutality and torture going on, and it 's just not really being addressed and taken seriously and and The McGill postcards and others he wasn 't the only one taking this attitude, I think very much resonates with the time
2: It seems particularly odd to to, to put that that subject matter against a Christmas message. Mm. Because Christmas is a time when typically there is a certain amount of compassion and even a sense of reaching out to one's traditional foes. It's very uncharitable. Mm,
1: mm. It's coarse. It's unkind.
2: And how is the woman portrayed on that?
1: Well, she just uh, she's obviously a woman suffrage supporter. She's got a, a sign on her wall, a little picture saying votes for women. She's, um, she's not got the ugly harridan aspect to her. But again, it's just making light of... What they're demanding and, and what they're suffering.
2: Well, on that cheerful note. Sorry about that. One. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, thank you, thank you both um, for for bringing your cards in today. It never ceases to surprise me what stories are embedded in these cards. National history, our national history, personal history, personal stories. These cards really do hold the secrets. Um, I'm thrilled that you share them with us and with our podcast listeners. Another reminder for listeners at home, wherever you're listening, images of the cards we talked about today are all on the website. And do look at Di's book, uh, if only for the end papers. But uh, <laughs> you will find some other interesting things along the way as well. Also on the website will be this last one from me um, in the at-pass-postcard style really rather lighter than, than what we've been dealing with. Oh, my goodness, maybe there's a, a sort of dreadful echo of what you're talking about. Anyway, it's a card of Dartmoor, Dart meat in Dartmoor, published by uh, uh, Cotman Colour, I think it's Gerald. Here's the message from Janet, sending it to Rotherham. There's no need to send any more cake... I don't know,
1: you know. Oh, yes, there is. <laughs> oh, yes, there
3: is. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, you, did, you didn't have the cake that Janet was sent. <laughs> but I don't what, you know. What, who, knows? who can guess? These are, these are more of the mysteries. Now, before we let you both get out into what was a sunny day, now a little bit overcast, I don't know if either of you have seen one of these before. barely got a hand.
3: Oh, it's a record and a card. Oh,
1: isn't that divine?
3: It's lovely, and it's got carnations
2: on the front,
3: and it's so it's it's got that kind of faded glamour, hasn't it? It's very glamorous, actually. See,
2: shall we see if we can make it play?
3: Please, Mister Music, will you uh, play? uh,
2: (laughs) We have the technologies. She's good. She's
3: German. (sighs) Are you translating? Brilliant observation there, yes.
2: Wouldn't you want to receive that through the post?
3: Absolutely. It, it does give me that um, Sunday afternoon depression, though, that <laughs> depression. you always used to get as a child when the Cliff Adams singers singing Sing Something Simple yeah. would come on and you'd know that was the end of the weekend. <laughs> but in German, obviously.
1: And you only had... The only thing to look forward to was a bath and finishing off your homework, wasn't Yeah. It? Mm, boo. That was it.
2: Well, I'm sorry it's brought back such dreadful memories for you both. (laughs) We aim to depress where we possibly can. Well, as the cardboard carnations continue to rotate at exactly 45 revolutions per minute, that's it for this time on Podcasts from the Past. I'd very much like to thank my first-class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts and our past. Claire Woodward and Di Atkinson, thank you both.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
2: And thank you for listening. Bye for now. <laughs> you can see more postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me at Past Postcard. And you can buy the book, Postcard from the Past, by me, Tom Jackson, at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk.
0: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too.